We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week. I'm Blair Andrews. My co-host, Hassan Rahim, is actually out today, but it's all good. We have a great guest joining me on the show. Joining us today is Zachary Kruger. Zach is a contributor at Rotoviz, where he covers wide receiver usage and the Red Zone Report in two different weekly articles. You can follow him on Twitter at FFTroglodyte. Uh, Zach, how's it going? I am doing great. Uh, it's an honor to be on this evening, and uh, I definitely wasn't expecting to play the co-host route, but I hope that I'm able to uh, <laughs> deliver a little bit in, Has- uh, in Hassan's absence. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Big shoes to fill with us on. No, it's an easy gig, I think. But, um, yeah, you've been, uh, writing a couple weekly articles for, for Rotoviz. Um, you know, you, you've been diving deep into some of these wide receiver stats and the red zone stats. Any, anything surprise you when you, uh, get deep into those? One of my favorite things that I've been doing so far this season, uh, has been the red zone report, which it was the idea that I had right before the season started to kind of look at, red zone touches amongst all the positions um, just to kind of see how teams are using them down in those high scoring areas of the field where we have a good chance to score fantasy points. Um, so taking a look at running backs, wide receivers and tight ends, I've kind of sifted through the data to see where teams are using their players in the red zone and how often they're targeting them and giving them those opportunities. It's been something that has kind of um, built itself over the course of the season. As we see guys like Jimmy Graham receive heavy usage in the red zone, we kind of get a sense of how he's taking the path to a tight end one season that he's been on so far. And then on the other side, there's guys like Jerick McKinnon who uh, get us a little bit more tilted because we see a lot of high volume touches early, like in week one when he had five red zone touches uh, in week one, only to then kind of have the rug pulled out from us in week five where he did not receive hardly any touches at all, much less those in the red zone. So it's a fun article to write. Uh, it gives us a lot to look at. And then obviously as the season carries on, we get a better sense of how players are being used in those high value or those high value areas of the field. Yeah, definitely some important data there and some really uh, important trends to stay on top of. So I've been, I've been reading that article with a lot of interest every week. Um, I also wanted to ask you about your Twitter handle. That's one of the more unique ones you see. Is there a story behind that? <laughs> uh there's not much of a story behind it. I, I had heard, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Preston Steve radio show. It's actually out of Philadelphia. Um, and one time one of the guys on the show had called someone a troglodyte and I had no clue what the word was. <laughs> and I, uh, I Googled it. And then when coming up with my handle, I was like, you know what? That, that was a funny word. So I just kind of, I kind of wrote it out. There's, 
<laughs> it's really nothing more than a lame comment and crack that I heard on a radio show. <laughs> and I thought it was funny, so That's I kind of rolled with it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It's definitely a fun word. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, with that, let's get right into the first news item. Uh, DJ Moore hauled in five of a team high 11 targets for 93 yards and lost to the Bears. Meanwhile, Robbie Anderson saw only five targets, but turned them into 77 yards on four catches. So, so almost everyone expected Moore to be the wide receiver one coming into the season. Do you think that we're seeing a turning point in the Panthers season where Moore is actually going to take that step and kind of be the wide receiver one we all expected? Or do you expect Anderson to still have a really big role and even uh, possibly be the true wide receiver one here. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously Moore is an elite athlete. He's a player who can take uh, balls caught from any area of the field, whether it be in the shorter intermediate uh, passing game, he's able to um, take those and turn those upfield, which actually I think works quite well with Teddy Bridgewater, who is not known for throwing the ball deep downfield often. Um, that's something that Robbie Anderson has kind of always been known as, is the deep threat. And uh, in some ways, Robbie Anderson has reinvented himself uh, with Carolina to be playing in more areas of the field. But I do think that at the end of the day, um, I would expect a little bit more out of DJ Moore going forward. I do think that um, he is going to emerge as the wide receiver one in Carolina with his 11 targets that he saw last week, it was definitely an encouraging sign for those who invested those early draft capital in him. Yeah, yeah, I mostly agree with that. I, I mean, obviously, I've been super high on DJ Moore kind of coming into the season. I own him in, like, almost every dynasty league. Um, and Robbie Anderson is someone who I did not expect to be able to come to a new team and after – really having kind of a poor season with the Jets his last year to be able to reinvent himself in this way. Um, so I've had to adjust my priors a little bit mm-hmm. in that regard. It's it's easy to forget that Anderson was uh, a rookie breakout, I believe, even though he was an undrafted free agent. Um, so he's obviously got some talent. Um, yeah, and- so, yeah. And, and, to add, and to add to that real quick, one thing that I also think is worth kind of keeping in mind with, with Anderson is he's not playing with the coach who had a chance to use him and, and uh, work with him for I think it was two or three, maybe even four years. But he worked with him at Temple with Matt Rule. Um, so Matt Rule mm-hmm. has a really good sense of how to deploy Anderson, I think, and um, is kind of part of the reason why you know Anderson got to the NFL in the first place. So I think to be reunited with him um, kind of – kind of gave Anderson the opportunity with Rule to really show the league what he can do on a wider scale. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, definitely had, seems to have had some sort of effect in enabling Anderson to really step into this offense and and have an impact. Um, the one other thing I'm kind of curious about regarding Carolina is how you think these receivers might uh, how you think they'll play once McCaffrey gets back into the lineup, which hopefully is going to be pretty soon. Yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, I saw the other day that McCaffrey is hopefully going to be back by week eight. Um, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but off the top of my head, I know that Mike Davis has actually um, seen a substantial amount of targets even in um, McCaffrey's absence. I'm pulling him up here now. Um, let's see, week two he had eight, three he had nine, four he had six, and five he had ten. I mean, I think overall that's probably a pretty fair um, target expectation for a guy like McCaffrey to even receive. And we've seen that with um, Davis in there while McCaffrey's out, that Moore and Anderson have still been able to have those product, um, those high-producing weeks, those productive weeks uh, from a fantasy standpoint. So I understand the the need to kind of be concerned about McCaffrey's return, but I really don't think that the the opportunity share that you're seeing with Mike Davis relative to what you would see with Christian McCaffrey is as different as we might have expected prior to um, actually getting our first full look at Davis uh, really in week three. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, Davis has really stepped into McCaffrey's opportunity, even though he hasn't necessarily been as, as efficient as probably uh, McCaffrey would be, but still from a target standpoint, 
it doesn't look like uh, McCaffrey's return will take any targets away from these wide receivers. So that's yeah. a good point. Yep. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool caught all four of his targets for 74 yards and added two rushes for seven yards and a touchdown in a 38-7 win over the Cleveland Browns. So with this performance, Claypool now leads all rookie wide receivers in total touchdowns. Um, I'm curious if we were to, say, hold a uh, rookie draft today, where do you think you would have Claypool ranked? You know, we were... We were talking about this before we started recording, and I was trying to mentally go through who all we were taking in the rookie drafts, um, you know, months ago, it, whether that be right after the draft or even even in August leading up to the season. And I, I think that we could probably pretty much agree that guys like CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson have shown to be worth their picks early on. Um, you know, they were, they were one of the top of their class wide receivers for this year's rookie draft class. Um, Henry Ruggs, I think is someone who I would, I would be willing to probably take after Claypool at this point in time. Um, you know, so trying to, trying to mentally think my way through that. I do have guys like Lamb, like Jefferson. Ayuk has shown pretty well, um, who have done good jobs. I think I would probably be willing to take Claypool somewhere near the end of the first round. Um, right now in rookie drafts. How about you? Yeah, that's about where I am probably taking him. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think, you know, obviously guys like Lamb, and Lamb in particular looks like he's going to be a star. Jefferson yeah. was amazing today. Um, T. Higgins is coming on pretty strong. Mm. Um, you know, there are some guys who are going early, like Jalen Rager we haven't gotten to see. So I think you have to push him down after Claypool. Um, LaVisca Chenault is someone who I love and own everywhere mm-hmm. and has been, has been pretty good despite not actually getting that much volume, not necessarily having great quarterback play. I mean, he, he had really a down game today, but, um, he is someone who, uh, it would be tougher, but I think I'd take Claypool ahead of him. And then the other ones that are interesting are looking at some of the running backs who were going well ahead of Claypool, obviously. Like DeAndre Swift was an early pick who, who really didn't pan out much until today. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you talk about Lamb and Jefferson being obviously there. Um, I think. Edward Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, we'd still take ahead of Claypool. Mm-hmm. After that, it gets kind of tricky. So you're maybe looking as high as number six. I don't know. Yeah, you, um, I actually went ahead into uh, the Road of His Dynasty ADP and I pulled up rookie drafts for uh, FFPC last year. Uh, Claypool was ranked as he was the twelfth wide receiver going off the board. In FFPC mm. drafts and in rookie drafts, um, guys ahead of him were Brian Edwards, Avisca Shnott, uh, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman, Denzel Mims, uh, T. Higgins, Rugs, and then you get into Rieger, Jefferson, Judy, and Lamb. Um, where do you where do you view Claypool in a, amongst a guy like Judy? If you don't mind my asking, who I think no, we could yeah. possibly agree that the quarterback situation for Pittsburgh right now is not a long-term situation. Ben's probably going to be out in, in another year or two when he retires. And then I don't really think that we can confidently say that the quarterback situation in Denver is one that we are convinced is going to be looking the same way and possibly as early as next year. How do you view Claypool to a guy like Judy? Yeah, that's a good question. Judy is, I have forgotten about him. He kind of had a really, uh, didn't do much today, but, um, yeah, he's another guy who, based on the way he's been used and some of the catches we've seen him make, he looks like he is another potential star who, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that one's close. I mean, you see, all Claypool does is like take, take his catches to the house from, you know, 70 he's yards crazy. or something. So it's pretty amazing to yeah. see what he's done early on. And then, I mean, guys like Michael Pittman and Denzel Mims, I, I can probably pretty easily move Claypool up above those guys right, right now. I would, oh yeah, for I sure. I think, um, 
For sure. Yeah. I think the the Claypool versus Judy question is pretty interesting for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, because they both have kind of uncertain quarterback situations going forward. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. Where are you I, at on that? Well, the more I look at it, and I'm looking at the top five ADP here, so it's just Lamb, Judy, Jefferson, Rieger, and Ruggs, and I'm willing to give a guy like Rieger a pass right now because we haven't seen him. Um, but I also would probably be moving T. Higgins up a little bit. But looking through mm-hmm. it more and just seeing the way Claypool has produced, he's one of the top wide receivers in yards after the catch. Like you said, like you said earlier, he he takes he seemingly takes everything he catches to the house. Um, I would probably be moving him somewhere into like the top five or six of rookie wide receivers and pushing down guys like Pittman, probably a guy like Mims, even though I know he's been injured and we haven't seen much of him. Um, my confidence in what the Jets are doing right now is just so, yeah, <laughs> so little to non-existent that I, I think I can confidently fade a Jet until I actually see something <laughs> that looks, uh, so I see something out of the front office that actually looks like there's uh competent where <laughs> something competent taking place in that organization. So I I mean I'm willing to move Claypool probably up to like a top five or six wide receiver just based on what we've seen through these first six weeks, seeing that he's a a, a monster after the catch and and he's got just tremendous size as well. Uh, I think he's like six four, two hundred twenty pounds. Like he's a big big guy who who possesses elite speed and can really get away from defenders either with his pure speed or just overpowering them uh, in the secondary. So he's like a top five or yeah. six wide receiver to me if I was redoing the draft at this point in time, the rookie drafts. Yeah, yeah, that's another good point about his athleticism. You know, he, in the Rotoviz freak score calculator, he's like the closest comp to guys like Julio and DK Metcalf and Calvin Johnson. So when you see when you see these names, the other guys who possess that kind of athleticism, then it's hard not to get excited. Oh yeah. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. All right, let's get into a new game we're going to play today. Since we have <laughs> with us the uh, Internet's biggest Russell Gage stan, I've come up with a new game. We're calling it Gaging Performance. The idea, the way this is going to work, I'll read a stat line, and you tell me whether you would rather have the player in question, rest of season, or Russell Gage. You have to kind of pretend to be objective here. <laughs> when, when, when I first, when you first pitched this idea to me, I just thought it was like me giving you like a, a gauge of what I thought of the performance. And I realized I was actually having to uh, possibly go against one of my favorite players of the last year. And uh, it was incredibly tilting, but I'm ready to commit to it. I'm ready to be unbiased in my approach and, and give the people good content. So I, I think I'm ready for this. All right, let's do it. Uh, I hope this one's an easy one. First one up, Eagles tight end Richard Rodgers was targeted three times in week six, catching all three for 31 yards. I mean, Russell Gage. Russell Gage easily. Uh, Richard Rodgers, part of what took him to even getting to that point was no Dallas Goddard, no Zach Ertz. Um, You know, those those guys will be back. I I don't even know if Ertz is going to be out for any more than he was just this week. I'm not really sure what his injury is. Uh, How how long is Goddard out for? Not not that it really matters in my view of Gage, but just curious. I'm trying to remember. 
Yeah, I can't remember. Know? I think he might be eligible to return in week eight. Okay, so so there might uh, be a, but a few weeks. I could um, be wrong about that. Actually, it's week seven. It's week seven. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, so I'm not I'm not investing in <laughs> right. anything into Richard Rogers. It's it's Russell Gage all the way, baby. Um, I believe Ertz had an ankle injury, and he may have returned to the game. I can't actually remember now, but um, he was someone who was really not playing well before this game. He caught a few passes in this one, so it kind of was encouraging to see see him being, you know, I don't know, you call it solid. But are you at all worried about Ertz going forward? Uh, I mean, with the... Knowing that Goddard can return in week seven, assuming that Ertz is also healthy there, obviously Goddard's going to eat into, into those targets a little bit. Um, we've, we've seen it, you know, dating back to last season, um, as far as Goddard goes in his, in his first two games, Goddard had nine targets in week one. He had eight in week two. And then in week three, he only saw one target, but I'm guessing that's the week he went out since he has not played since then. So, um, I mean, nine and eight targets is nothing to, is nothing to dismiss. There's a lot of people who were drafting Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, you know, cause they were hoping for eight or nine targets a game. So the fact that yeah. Goddard is getting eight or nine targets a game possibly with thirds in the lineup, you know, I mean, that's obviously they're, they're going to cannibalize one each other with, with targets. And it appears that right now, when healthy, Goddard probably has the upper hand relative to Ertz. And I think that that's something that will probably continue. <clears throat> Randall Cobb caught three passes for 17 yards in week six against the Titans. Though a touchdown ground. Uh, yeah, what the heck is this? Let me read that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Was it, was my answer good on that last one for, for Ertz and Goddard? Was that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was good. Okay. Cool. That was good. Yeah. I don't All want right. to talk too much. Randall Cop. Sorry. No, that's good. Yeah. Definitely want to, uh, you know, get into all those considerations because, uh, that's important stuff for sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Let me get this timestamp 24. Randall Cobb caught three passes for 17 yards in week six against the Titans. Uh, for me, this one is kind of tough because I actually really liked Randall Cobb as a late round flyer in a lot of my best ball teams. And, and even those PPR leagues, I really felt that he was going to have a path to uh, seeing some some sustainable production. It, it's been there. It hasn't been anything uh, amazing. He's He's got a few double-digit performances out there. But overall, I – I'm going to take Gage probably because of the volume and because of what he's done so far um, through the first two games and, and just seeing how much the the Falcons are passing. Matt Ryan t- alone today had a, had a big day, um, finding several wide receivers. Gage had 10.5 PPR points through halftime. Unfortunately, that's all he finished with. But he could have possibly been in line for, I think, a bigger day, um, had a few things broke his way. So it, it's a close one for me. I really like Cobb, but... I'm going to go gauge just just knowing what that what that Falcons passing volume looks like um, through the first six weeks of the season. James Washington caught four of seven targets for 68 yards and a touchdown in a 38-7 win over the Cleveland Browns in Week Six. James Washington was another one of my favorite players who I actually got a couple articles on um, this off season. My problem with James Washington is I think he had a really nice game um, against the Browns this past week. My question, I guess, and I'll I'll ask you this, is what do you think about Washington's performance, and does it mean anything going forward, assuming that Deontay Johnson is healthy? Because this is now two weeks where we've seen a Steelers wide receiver, not named Juju Smith-Schuster, break out in the absence of of Johnson with last week being Claypool and then this week being Washington. Um, so where are you kind of at on Washington? I'm probably going to go gauge because of the Johnson injury, but what do you think of that? Yeah, that, um, I guess if you're a Washington owner, you're pretty happy with this performance today. Although, uh, I mean, even on his seven targets, Claypool outperformed him from a production standpoint. I mean, 
you know, if you count Claypool's rushing touchdown as a touchdown, which, I mean, yeah. I do. But, um, <laughs> right. You know, Roethlisberger only threw the ball 22 times. They were ahead in this game most of the game, I want to say. So, um, it's, it's possibly the sort of thing where, you know, they wanted to give Washington some more run in a game that they didn't need uh, Juju as much for, that they didn't need, um, you know, to throw the ball a lot. So this was kind of a weird one, and I don't know if I'm necessarily trying to, um, you know, take too much information away from this performance. So uh, for that reason, I probably am going Gage yeah. here as well. Yeah, I'll I'll go Gage as well. Uh, this is actually the second time in a row that uh, Washington has erupted for a big game against Cleveland. Last season in Week 13, hmm. he caught all four of his targets for 111 yards and a touchdown. So um, we've kind of seen him get after Cleveland recently, um, which could just also be him exploiting a bad defense in a matchup where one of the receivers ahead of him uh, was absent the game as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once... Like you said, once Deontay is back, I think you're probably looking at Washington being the wide receiver four here. I mean, right. with Claypool's emergence. So yeah, I I would agree with that. Darren Fells caught six passes for 85 yards and a touchdown in Sunday's loss to the Titans. Darren Fells has not caught a lot of passes this season. As a matter of fact, he entered this season with, or this week with, uh, eight total receptions on the season. So he, uh, he nearly, he nearly matches total for the season in one week. Uh, Fells is a pretty easy fade for me, although I do like that he has found the end zone a few times this season. Um, tight end is just such a wasteland right now though. Um, I don't think I need to hitch my cart to, to Darren Fells. I think there's other guys who I can probably rely on for a little bit more target volume and a little few more receptions. Um, it was a nice week, but I'm probably still going Gage. I hate to sound like a homer, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you probably knew what oh, you were good. getting. You, you knew what you're getting with these questions if you've seen the Twitter profile. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, Travis Fulgham continued his breakout season in Week Six, catching six passes for 75 yards and a touchdown. I'm actually going Fulgham here um, with with kind of the understanding that maybe the Philadelphia Eagles still decide to go to some of these veterans who have not been playing recently. Um, it, it's obviously taken a lot for Fulgham to get here. He's probably been one of the better stories of kind of that, that player's rise to start in this season. He definitely came out of nowhere. Um, but it, it did take no, no Rieger. It took no... Alshon, it took no Deshaun Jackson for him to get to that point, but I'm not really sure that the Eagles are going to go back to some of those veterans who um, who are on the roster, even when they're healthy. I just don't think that there's any kind of future with those players. I don't see them keeping guys like Deshaun Jackson or uh, Alshon Jeffrey in particular next season. Obviously, they're going to be hanging on to Rieger and hopefully playing him as soon as he's back, but I mean, Fulgham's young. Um, I want to say he's like 25 or 26, and he has produced um, so far for this team that's in, in desperate need of a wide receiver. So uh, they, I foresee a lot of negative game script coming their way. It's going to require them to throw, um, as terrifying of the ideas that probably is for Carson Wentz, who's running for his life on every other snap. But Travis Fulgham has produced in areas where they need him to, and he has really supplanted um, – the the lack of receivers he's made up for the lack of receivers so far um, with his performance that I I actually do like him a lot he's a big physical receiver who's done very well with his limited opportunity so far yeah I just had to look that up when you said he was probably 25 or 26 because he is 25 yeah um it's I remember uh well he came out last year drafted by the Lions out of Old Dominion and he was one of the older prospects, but I'm just surprised he's that old. Um, I, yeah, he was, he was a little intriguing as a prospect just cause he had that really high dominator rating his final season. But, um, yeah, then kind of, uh, came out of nowhere again this year. So he's interesting to me. Yeah. He's, he's, he's been a fun watch so far. Um, I hate, I hate to, I hate to go against my guy, but, he he's done very well so far, and uh, 
I just think that the, the Eagles are going to have to find players, and I really don't know why you would look away from someone who has produced the level he has so far um, this season. I mean, he's done very well. So I, I, w- I would go Fulgham over, over Gage here. And I relinquished my my fan club presidency card. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get you back in with some of these next ones, I think. Okay, okay. Uh, Gio Bernard... Gio Bernard racked up 15 yards and a touchdown off of eight carries during the loss to the Colts on Sunday. He also hauled in three of his targets for 13 yards. Uh, I'm sure that the Bengals would probably take Gio Bonnie Bernard over Russell Gage because they seem to like him more than Joe Mixon as well, which is just (laughs) insane to (laughs) me. But Twitter was tilting very early in week one, or I'm sorry, this, this past week in week six, when Bernard caught that touchdown pass, um, I think it was in the first or second quarter. Obviously, all the 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 mix and truthers were trying to figure out why they still can't seem to get him the ball in these uh, high value areas of the field. Personally, for me, I uh, I think that the the floor and the ceiling probably both belong to Gage, and that's going to take a, an injury to Mixon to really vault Bernard into those usable weeks. I don't think that Bernard has done much in the way of um, of weekly production. I, I don't think that he's out there racking up a ton of fantasy points. I'm pulling it up now. He doesn't have any double-digit performances, so I, it's pretty easy for me to go gauge on that one. Um, Bernard is, is more a thorn in the side than he is a, a usable fantasy asset, in my opinion, at this point in time. A thorn in the side to mix in owners, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Bernard owners. Yeah, and Bernard owners. If 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 you had to start him, you know, I I feel bad for you even though maybe this is a week to <laughs> a week to do it. Did he actually get them double digit points this week? It, it'd be close to it. Oh yeah, he must have been close. I mean three targets. Six. I don't know, he might not have got there, even with the touchdown. Yeah, yeah. It, it hey, but it was it, it was it was close enough. <laughs> Yeah, right. Close enough to his best um, week. There you go. Keelan Cole caught six passes for 143 yards in his team's week six loss to the Detroit Lions. Keelan Cole has done a lot of these splash games on a on a on a on a yearly basis now, where I feel like we see him just unexpectedly hit for triple digit yards and a touchdown and. Um, I was when I saw you put him in there. I had to go back and actually look over it. He's had a lot of really nice games over over the course of his career since I think it was 2017 was when he entered the league. Um, I know Chark was injured, but Chark still saw 14 targets this week, which was surprising to me considering what Cole put up. Uh, but I actually really like the way Keelan Cole has been um, performing. I don't think that this is his first. Um, big game of the season, if I'm not mistaken. He, yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, he, right. he's he really, had, uh... he's really been showing up kind of all season in the box score. He had, he had 15.7 in week one, 17.8 in week two, and then 10.7 in week five. And now obviously this week he's, he's going to finish as one of the top wide receivers for this week. And, uh, yeah, I've clearly the Jaguars like him. They're another team that I think fits the negative game script narrative where they're going to be throwing a lot. And uh, if, if they're able to find Keelan Cole, which clearly Minshew has this season, um, I think that he's going to be in line for a lot more big days, which unfortunately for me, it's just not something Gage is going to be. <laughs> Gage is going to be <laughs> seeing. You know, I, I, I love Gage, but the the yards and the big playability is definitely more of Keelan Cole's game, I think. Hmm. A.J. Green caught 8 of 11 targets for 96 yards in the Bengals' Week 6 loss to the Colts. Yeah, this was an interesting one, um, particularly because of all of the A.J. Green is dust narrative, which has been going on through the first five weeks of the season. Uh, he hasn't looked particularly good. He's received a lot of volume and he's done little with it. This is easily his best game of the season. And really, you know, for me, it kind of comes down to this question now of was this just a flash in the pan or is this something that he's actually going to be able to continue um, 
is he going to be able to continue producing at this rate uh, going forward? What do you think about AJ Green? For me, I, 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 let me think on my opinion for a second. Where do you what do you think <laughs> about AJ Green for this one? Um, so I have been someone who's kind of saying, kind of been saying that AJ Green is washed for like the last two years or three years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, you know, a little bit of bias because I own Tyler Boyd in so many leagues. But I mean, you know, even with the 11 targets, still T Higgins had more yards, um, had a better fantasy day. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's good to see AJ Green actually produce with his, with his targets, but you know, I think this is kind of a lot of what we've what we've been seeing this season, which is a lot of mostly empty volume. Um, yeah. So I I am you know <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a gauge homer, but I'm tempted to go gauge here. Yeah, I I I guess the question I keep on coming back to is is a is a bad AJ Green better than a good Russell Gage <laughs> at this point in their careers? If, if that makes any sense, I mean obviously. You know, Gate or Green is not what he once was, uh, at, at his age and his injury history. And, you know, Russell Gage is still a relatively young wide receiver, only his third year in the league. But I guess I keep coming back to the question of even at obviously what's not his best is AJ Green still better than Gage? I'll go Gage, um, basically for the same reason that I, I don't like other Bengals players like Joe Mixon. Um, and his his big game with the Bengals, um, I'm still skeptical of what he can do. So I'll go Gage just because of what we've seen over the course of the season thus far. Um, heading into this week, Green was actually the worst wide receiver in fantasy points over expectation. He had 28 points below expectation heading into the season, and I would be more tempted to think that what we saw this week was a fluke rather than something that is sustainable going forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the way I'm kind of looking at it is, um, you know, this kind of 11 target game, notwithstanding, it looks like Green might be the wide receiver three in Cincinnati. And Gage is the wide receiver three in Atlanta, which looks to be, especially today, a much more productive and uh, valuable offense. So just in terms of, you know, kind of chasing those explosive performances where you can get multiple touchdowns, it seems like Gage would give you more opportunities for those. Yeah, I think so. And Gage has really he I think he's been on the field a lot more than than what we have seen Green be on the field recently. Um you know, it, when you really take a look at this overall snap shares, you'll see that really Green is currently second in snap share, um, at least heading into this week. Um you know, over Higgins by just a small amount, 64% to 61%. But if you take a look at everything after week one, which is when Higgins barely saw the field, uh, Boyd and Higgins have actually led the Bengals in snap share from week two through week five. And obviously we don't have that data yet, but I would assume that that's probably the case for this week as well. Uh, you know, just based on what we've seen over the course of the last four, four weeks now. Um, so so calling A.J. Green the wide receiver three in Cincinnati, I think, is very accurate. Uh, he's also third on, uh, you know, in, in, as far as targets are concerned amongst wide receivers. Uh, between the snaps and his targets, he looks every bit the wide receiver three. And like you said, the offenses, they just aren't they aren't comparable. I know the, I know the Falcons just won their first game, but it, it's really, <laughs> <laughs> but, but their offense has not been their reason for their losses so far. Um, that, that pass offense is putting up points at a, at a crazy high rate. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to put this on the sheet, but I should just mention Gage today caught four passes for 64 yards, all four of his targets. Um, uh, how does this performance for Gage does it change your outlook for him at all? I mean, it, is this kind of what you expect? Would you hope to see more targets? On a normal week, I think I would expect to see more targets, but a normal week this season for the Falcons has been trying to play catch up throughout 
the majority of the game. We're trying to keep pace with high, high-powered offenses. Uh, they didn't really need to do that in this case. Uh, I don't have the box score in front of me, but I know they held a substantial lead at halftime. Kirk Cousins had already thrown three interceptions in the first half, and the Falcons had a nice lead. Um, I don't know what they did as far as running the ball goes, but knowing that he didn't, he, Gage entered the, he went into halftime with 10 and a half fantasy points. I do know that. And he did not score any more afterwards, which kind of tells me if I just had to, um, guess based on what, what I do know about that, he probably, uh, did not need to see as many targets just based on how the game kind of, was kind of going. Um, but when they're playing catch up in a normal week, I would expect Gage to see you know, a few more targets in the four that he saw. Um, it's definitely a downtick from what he has seen in the games that he has actually been active and healthy for. I think the big thing when it comes to him is considering how he performs with and without Julio Jones. Um, if you if you take a look at some of the um, performances recently without Julio Jones, you'll see that when either Julio is off the field or he's not healthy, Gage is not performing up to the level that he was earlier in the first two weeks when the all three wide receivers were healthy. Um, I think that makes a big difference as well. I think defenses have to focus more on other receivers and they kind of are willing to overlook Gage until he's burning them down the field for a touchdown. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. He definitely has that big playability and we've seen what he can do when, you know, when one of these guys, when Ridley or Jones is out. So, um, Yeah. yeah, you know. He should be he should be owned in in well at least every deep league. But uh, can you start him every week as a wide receiver? Really can you start him every week as a wide receiver three? Do you think or? Uh, it depends on how how desperate your teams are for wide receivers. Maybe you know, um, you know if you drafted a zero running back team and you avoided some of the big wide receiver injuries like Thomas and Sutton and uh AJ Brown until now, you might be you know, you might be still going strong with guys like I don't know, like uh <laughs> I can't even think of who who has been good, but uh, you know, Hopkins obviously has been good. You might be good with Diggs, you might be good with uh a lot of guys that have have played well, so yeah, it's um, hard to find those good wide receivers early in the draft right now because they've all been injured. I mean, even that's true. Even Godwin, you know, he's he's been out for most of the season, uh, and and Mike Evans has kind of had those weird weeks where he gets in the end zone, but that's really the only catch he has on the day. So, um, that's a good point. I started off the answer kind of thinking I was going to be saying you didn't need to start Gage, but the more the more I struggle <laughs> to think of healthy wide receivers, the more I'm like, oh, you know what? Gage is pretty good, actually. Yeah, some, so. some of what I think you're kind of hoping on is, you know, if you if you didn't have – I mean, obviously, hopefully you have one of those healthy wide receivers that you took early, but if you don't, you're kind of banking on those guys like Gage or one of those late-round rookies who you took later in, like, a redraft league to kind of step up and fill those voids where you may have lost a, a receiver early, in which case I think Gage is – he was startable. He he missed week three, I believe, with the concussion, and obviously he mm-hmm. wasn't he wasn't great this week. But um, yeah, it's been an interesting it's been an interesting trip through the wide receiver landscape on a week to week basis with so many top guys sure. being out. For sure. All right, moving on to regular news item number three. Rob Gronkowski caught five of his eight targets for seventy eight yards and a touchdown. Gronk looked almost like his old self in this game. So what kind of do you expect to see from the tight end position in Tampa Bay this season? Um, is it more more games like this from Gronk, or do you think, you know, Cameron Braid will get worked in or it'll just be a position we want to avoid? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I was I was really caught off guard because I I I thought that uh, Rob Gronkowski was a blocking tight end baby, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 With that video that he saw the that he released the other day in that interview, that's one of my favorite video clips. But um, you know, there's all the Arians doesn't like to go to the tight end theories out there and stuff like that. Uh, he actually led all uh, 
all Bucks pass catchers and targets this week with eight. Um, and he, it wasn't like he was just catching like the easy passes and turning them upfield or, you know, sitting in the middle of a soft zone and catching, catching passes and, and turning those. He had a couple of really nice contested catches. I thought he actually looked like the old Gronk and I thought it was an encouraging sign going forward. Um, overall, I, are we really supposed to be surprised that it's taken a few weeks for Rob Gronkowski to now look like Rob Gronkowski? What do you think? Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. A good, you know, good question for anyone who's been out of football for a year and is trying to make a comeback like this. You expect there to be some, you know, some delay in, in terms of getting them back up to speed, especially with kind of the weird preseason we had. So, um, yeah, I, I think this could be a trend with Gronk getting some more targets. I mean, this was, it was interesting to see this in a game that finally Godwin was healthy. Mike Evans was healthy, although he only saw two targets. Um, but yeah, I think you definitely are encouraged if you, if you are a Gronk owner and, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Are you at all worried about, you know, a game coming up in which Evans might get his 10 targets or, uh, are you worried about Evans? <laughs> uh, well, his, his, uh, his overall targets this, this, uh, this week were definitely not encouraging. Uh, like you said, only two targets, one catch for 10 yards. Um, and, and he's kind of been all over the place with his production so far. I think it was in week one, he had like one catch for one yard and a touchdown. Um, you know, the the Buccaneers have really not been playing with a full deck uh, for most of the season. It, it seems like there's always a receiver out and there's always uh, that that one guy who's missing. And then in areas where you hope that other receivers will step up, we're not seeing it. I'm looking at Mike Evans' line now. He's had now, if you count this week, he's now had three games where he's had two catches or fewer of the six that they've played. Um, which I think is certainly not encouraging, even though the targets somewhat have been there. You know, he's had 10, 8, and 9, but then you've also seen a couple games with 4, and now his fewest of the season with 2. Um, you know, it, I feel like it's kind of hard to predict what this Buccaneers offense is going to do on a week-to-week basis. And now with Gronk having shown that he may be back to his former self, um, it's a, I, I think it's a tough situation to look at. Um, and predict confidently going forward. I'm taking a look at the uh, Road of his Strength of Schedule streamer here, just real quick. For tight ends, it actually looks like going forward, um, again, this is week 7 through 16, the Buccaneers are around middle of the road for strength of schedule um, as far as you know toughness goes for the tight ends. And then for the wide receivers, they... They're also once again middle of the road. So between the strength of schedule, you know, and, and kind of the, the spotty target shares we've seen so far, I really feel like I have a hard time predicting where to go on a week to week basis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. That's, uh, it's always tough to tell, <laughs> you know, we had this problem with Brady in New England too, right? It was hard to necessarily say who was going to get uh, who is going to be the guy on a week-to-week basis, apart from maybe Edelman. So, I don't know, maybe Godwin is turning into the Edelman here. But, um, I mean, yeah. this was a weird game kind of in general. It was one that I think a lot of people had pegged as a possible shootout. Green Bay ended up scoring only 10 points. Mm-hmm. You know, um, do you think that this Tampa Bay defense is legit? Do you think, um, yeah, I don't know, what's going on with Green Bay here? Uh, I mean, can we just start with that Aaron Rodgers and not look very good? I don't know how much you saw that game, but he threw two interceptions. He didn't have a touchdown and he definitely had a few other throws that were, that could have also easily have gone for interceptions. Uh, he only hit 160 yards on the day, um, which was obviously alarming, even with Devontae Adams back for the first time in several weeks. Um, you know, that offensive line did not hold up. They gave up five sacks. And this was a, this was a home game too. I know that home games kind of have a different, uh, 
a different feel now compared to maybe in 2019 and all the other years before that with, with, uh, no fans being allowed in the stands, but it was not a game that Aaron Rodgers or his offense at all as a whole looked like they were, looked like they were on the same page. Um, what, what do you think so far? Are you, are you concerned about the, the Packers going forward? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's always, it's always concerning when you see someone have a game like this. I mean, um, Rogers up until this point has looked like refreshingly good. Like we thought he was maybe washed last season and then he comes out, starts mm-hmm. off pretty hot and you start to think you're getting the old, old Aaron Rodgers back. And then he puts up this game and you're like, Oh yeah, I remember. Um, so yeah, <laughs> there are definitely some concerns there. I mean, especially when they get Devontae Adams back and then kind of fall flat like this. So I'm, yeah, I'm definitely concerned, although I don't necessarily expect to see a lot more games that are this bad. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting to me too, just looking back at the Buccaneers schedule, um, there, there's been games where I think that they've kind of, I, I would say that their defense has played kind of at the level that you would have expected to. Just looking at the points that they've allowed, they, they allowed 34 against New Orleans, which is obviously a good offense. They only allowed 17 to Carolina in week two, which they were still trying to figure things out. 10 to Denver in week three, which we know that's, you know, not surprising. The, the Denver Broncos have struggled to score points all year. Um, plus, if I'm not mistaken, that was also with, uh, without Drew Locke, I believe. Uh, week four, they allowed 31 points to Justin Herbert, but he looks good. And then in week five, they allowed, you know, 20 to Chicago in the loss, and then they only allowed 10 to Green Bay. So this was kind of an encouraging game, I think, for the Buccaneers defense as a whole because this was kind of like one of those first games where they played a hot team, they played a good offense, they played a really good established quarterback on the road, and they only allowed 10 points to them. Um, you know, are we supposed to be concerned about Green Bay? I'd like to think not, and that this was just one of those things that didn't go the way we wanted it to. But Tampa Bay's defense, I think, in general, has been relatively solid this season. Um, and I, I think they kind of showed what we were hoping for this year in a bigger way than we probably expected out of them today in terms of the points allowed to Green Bay. I don't think we were expecting only 10 points. Tennessee Titans wide receiver A.J. Brown caught five of seven targets for 56 yards and two touchdowns in Sunday's 42-36 overtime win over Houston. Um, Kind of going back to the same sort of Claypool ranking question, you know, A.J. Brown came into the season as one of the top-ranked sophomore wide receivers. I'm curious where he ranks now in the 2019 class for you after we've seen these – you know, really secondary breakout performances from guys like Metcalf, and uh, uh, I guess you could put McLaurin in that in that uh, conversation too. But where does Brown rank? Uh, right now, I would have Brown probably at second behind DK Metcalf, and in particular, it's because I really like the way that we've seen Metcalf kind of get involved with the Seattle offense, the way that he has over the first two years. Um, Metcalf has been healthy. He's been posting absurd receiving numbers even to start this season. If I'm not mistaken, I saw something earlier, like every game this season, Metcalf has like 90 or more receiving yards. I'm not sure if you saw that or not, but he's been posting absurd receiving totals on um Really not a ton of opportunity. He's, he's been very efficient so far this season. And I think that's hard to overlook, especially playing with a guy like Russell Wilson. And then I would probably slot Brown in right behind him. He's obviously played very well, um, with Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill now in the fold. He's looked good in his first two games back. And I just think that he's just one of those elite wide receivers who can beat a defender any area of the field, whether it's in separation or in contested catches, run after the catch. He just looks like a wide receiver who can really do it all. So he would be my second wide receiver um, of the 2019 rookie class as it stands right now. How about you? Yeah, I I mean, I'm definitely with you in that I think I would have him as one of those top two guys. 
I think the Metcalf versus AJ Brown question is really interesting. Um, not, not least because these, you know, they're both Ole Miss guys who, uh, were competing in college where for the most part, Brown was the more productive guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, last season he also looked like the better rookie. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, seeing the season that Metcalf has had, which like you said, has just been incredible. You know, I mean, even, even in week five, they were on by this week, but in week five, he even had double digit targets, which is, uh, something we hadn't really seen, uh, much of before. So it's, it's nice to see them really using him like an alpha receiver. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think I would still have Brown ranked ahead of Metcalf. He's looked great over the last two weeks and just the rookie season he had, you don't see from, from a lot of guys who aren't, who aren't stars already. So, uh, I'm kind of, maybe I need to shift my perspective a little bit still, but, um, yeah, I, I still think I like Brown over, over Metcalf. Um, I, yeah, do, some of the other interesting. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I I do think that perhaps part of my evaluation with uh, Brown is perhaps unfairly are what hindsight bias I have towards Ryan Tannehill and his years with the Dolphins, and <laughs> perhaps me not being completely convinced that he was going to replicate what he did in 2019 again this season. But he has looked very good. Um, you know, he's looked like one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and I think I need to also consider the fact that maybe what we're actually talking about when we're talking about uh, A.J. Brown is a guy who's playing with a quarterback who is, a, in fact, one of the best in the league right now, as surprising as it is to say, um, who's capable of really getting him the ball um, often in a lot of different ways and giving him the best opportunity to succeed on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about this class kind of a year removed because you know a lot of the guys we liked apart from brown have maybe not been doing as well this year like um marquise brown was one of our top guys he's been he's been kind of fine like he's not getting a ton of volume he's not been able to put up a ton of yards or touchdowns so far um, you know, Nikhil Harry today, I think had two targets and didn't catch it, either of them and had zero fantasy points. Um, what are you doing with some of these, some of these guys like Harry who we were really high on as rookies and then they really disappointed and look to still be disappointments? Uh, in terms of dynasty, I, I, I don't have Nikhil Harry in Dynasty, but I really just don't. I mean, what is there to feel confident at this point in time? Even if you, even if you put aside his performance, you know, which is obviously the big part of it here, he's playing an offense that's been largely dominated by the running game over the first, you know, five games of the season now with what's five games for New England. Um, Cam Newton has, has rushed at a high rate through their first five games, and it's it's really kind of, in my opinion, something that looks similar to what the Ravens do with Lamar. It's obviously worked a little bit differently because Cam and Lamar are two different players, but um, they, they've really given Cam the the keys to kind of run this offense in a way that best fits his, his skill set, and I don't think that that's going to be requiring him to throw a lot to anybody, much less a guy like Harry, um, who who again going back to his performances he's just really not getting it done that his receiving numbers as a whole are very underwhelming i I'd, I'd say just that I'd be looking to sell him in dynasty but I don't know that I can find a buyer for him if I tried um <laughs> he he's hard to move in and redraft leagues i I think I'd just be outright looking to to sit him um you know i I can't play that he's he averaged where are we at I'm looking now he was averaging 10.2 points per game coming into this week and tack on a donut to his production so far this season. And you're going to have a guy who's, who's now below 10 points per game on the season and just is playing an offense. That's not going to give him a lot of chances. I think to score, um, are you, are you at all confident in Harry going forward? 
Um, I mean, going into this week, I was saying that I was like holding on and I wanted to see, <laughs> you know, see some more. Like he hadn't, he hadn't been bad enough for me to give up yet. Yeah. And now I don't know if there's more, there are like mitigating circumstances to this game, which I, I haven't seen yet. So I don't know what, uh, you know, what exactly was going on with this game to make him have this. This stat line, but it's definitely, it's definitely, uh, yeah, disappointing to see. And, you know, as someone who was drafted in the first round, I'm sure he will probably get more chances to kind of, um, show that he's actually a bust before he's really truly done. But, uh, at this point, he really does look kind of like a bust. So like you said, I mean, if you can find a buyer, maybe you should do that. Although there's also a chance that he'll have kind of a good game coming up soon and that will be a good a good opportunity to sell. So in Dynasty, I mean, I'm not necessarily looking to sell him just because like you said, I don't think that you could get good value for him right now, but yeah, but I'm definitely definitely don't want to be uh, relying on him for any for any weekly points or um, it's yeah it's, putting it's him in tough. any lineup. So it's tough. I did see that I had I had posted uh, in jest at halftime of that game. I, I was not able to watch it uh, if Cam Newton was even active this week because I had seen his his totals up to halftime. I think he had like four and a half fantasy points. And someone had commented to me, to me saying that the Broncos basically held the ball for all of like all but six minutes of the first half. So I don't know how accurate that is. I do see that the Broncos led in time of possession, 32 minutes to 27 minutes. So there's that, that's a pretty substantial amount, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, it, there was a lot of a, there was a attempted some late game heroics by Cam and the Patriots and this just didn't quite work out for them. But I mean, even in a game where they were trailing, uh, to, to know that they were playing late, down late, trying to win the game in the fourth quarter and Harry still wasn't able to see any targets. It's definitely discouraging. Um, one thing that I was actually thinking about later today, I'll ask you real quick and I hate that maybe we may feel like we need to go this route, but I, Guys like Darren Waller make me think about like, is it crazy to think that maybe Nikhil Harry's better suited to like switch to tight end down the road? As crazy as that might sound, like we've now seen Darren Waller do it. I think Hakeem Butler recently is, has done it with the with the Eagles now. Like, is, is it possible? I'm gonna look that up for Hakeem Butler, but I'm pretty sure he did as well. Is is it crazy to think that maybe some of these underperforming wide receivers who can't quite cut it against cornerbacks need to consider? making a change to to tight end. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh I hadn't really thought of that and I hadn't heard, actually heard that about Butler. That would be that would be interesting too. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm trying to think of who else who else might have made that transition. The thing with Waller, of course, is that he was like an insane athlete. So, you look at a guy like him making that kind of transition, you can see how it could work out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that Harry is a bad athlete. I think he had a, he ran a sub four, five forty at like 220 something pounds. So, I mean, that's good for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, that's really interesting because was- he's someone who was so productive at Arizona state, you know, playing wide receiver. And obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not like grinding the film of his, his Arizona State tape. So I don't know how, uh, what kind of routes he was running or whether they would be the, you know, whether he was winning on ones that are like more amenable to lining up as a tight end or something. I have no idea, but sure. Interesting sure. thought experiment for sure. Yeah. I was kind of kicking it around and I, uh, I did look it up. Akeem Butler was listed as having been. Acquired by the Eagles as the tight end when they pulled him off the Panthers practice squad a few weeks ago. Um, if I'm not mistaken, wow. I think Ricky Seals Jones was also a wide receiver converted yeah. to tight end. Um, which yep. obviously he hasn't been elite, but he has had a couple of, of games where it looks like there might actually be something there if he was ever given a chance to really run out there on a consistent basis. So 
I, sitting around watching all my teams not score fantasy points. I was <laughs> I was thinking about a lot this week, <laughs> and, and and the idea of Nikhil Harry switching to tight end for some reason crossed my mind. And what better time to ask it than on your Rotoviz podcast debut? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well. Yeah, I don't know. You heard it here first. Nikhil Harry would be better at tight end. I don't know about so. better, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If he he should give it a shot, maybe. Yeah, I mean, maybe just try it out a couple weeks. Let, let's get, let's at least get creative. Like it, it can't hurt. There you go. There you go. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Please remember to rate and review the Rotoviz Radio channel on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to our guest, Zachary Kruger. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at FFTroglodyte. I'm Blair Andrews on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.